warning. This episode contains adult language, mature situations, sultans, cannonball rides. It wasn't a cannonball. It was a mortar shell. It also contains the RX Intercontinental Radar Sneaky Multi-War-Headed Nuclear Missile. But where's the fun in that? It's not fun. It also contains strange voyagers. Something beginning with him. It started with a D. Oh, just, just shut it. And it also finally contains the dawning of the age of lovely, intimate things. At least in discretion is advised. Oh, look at the pretty panties in the balloon. Oh, I get excited. Episode 3. I still can't swim! Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Sparkin Movie Review. As you can tell, I'm your host, Zahn. And this is Deke once again. Yes, it's our third episode from the, well, Sparkin Movie Review. For those who don't know, Sparkin Movie Review, it's our goal to teach you about movies which are awesome and help you avoid movies which are complete and utter shit. Yes, we do not want you to have your retinas burned by movies that suck balls. We could talk about them, but we'll talk about them another time. If you want to check us out, you can check us out at http colon www.sparkin.com. And what's that telephone number? 206-350-8462. And, of course, you can email me at zan at sparkin.com or sparkin at gmail.com. And also you can check out our main podcast, the Sparkin Manga Review, where we talk about mangas and other various things, including, well, you have to check to find out. Uh, that's very intriguing of you. I think I shall go right now. Oh, wait. We have a podcast to do. Yes, we do. So, if you remember from the last episode of the Spark and Review, where me and my cohort, Cal, reviewed very disturbing, necrophilia-friendly movies. Yes, Weekend of Bernie's a great movie. We're still working out the kinks on this podcast, because we don't have a gimmick yet. I mean, there's some ideas, I mean, because we unfortunately cannot use the one, the only, the So unfortunately we can't use that for movies. It doesn't work. The wheel of manga just won't work. I've tried it. It actually will land in the middle of a number. It won't work. So we gotta figure out a new gimmick. We were thinking of the dartboard of movies, but... Eh. I, I like that idea, but... We could do better. Someone said the coin flip of movies. 
that's just kind of doesn't give us a lot of choices because there's a lot of movies. How about uh, the one hundred sided die of movies? That's kind of a good idea, but we can do better. But <laughs> well, we have to get back to that. We'll probably by episode five we'll have it done because, of course, the next episode, of course, is going to be reviewed with the lovely and wonderful Belle. Uh-huh. Yes, she, we're going to be reviewing. Yes, it's an interesting movie where the fact that But we're not here to talk about that movie because stay tuned and you'll cover that movie. Yes. So, without any other further ado, let's get into the movie. Now, this movie which we're going to be reviewing today is a very interesting movie which came out around 1988 and was written by some guy named Charles McCohen and this guy uh, he's like an American who lives in Britain he can't come to the United States what is his name? Uh, oh I don't know he, he, he makes these crazy stop motion films uh, uh, he's a little bit loony is it uh, uh, Terry Jones? no 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 it's, it's completely different than Michael Terry. Palin? no no not him not him not him uh, Graham Chapman no he's dead leave him out of this um, Eric Idle. Uh, no, it's definitely not him. Um, uh, who, who? John Cleese? No, it's not John Cleese. Now for something completely different. And who are we speaking about? We're talking about Terry fucking Gilliam, baby. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and the movie we're speaking about is, of course, from 1988, written and directed by Terry Gilliam, and that is... The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. A truly strange and unusual film. Rated, let's say, PG-13? Yeah, I think it was actually probably right around the time PG-13 came out. Let's double check that. It's actually PG. It's a a PG movie? Really? And it does have a titty in it. And it has decapitations and And drug use. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And cities being raided and uh, all sorts of... Induced adventures. So, if you are a young kid who wants to get to see boobies, violence, and drug use very easily, this movie's worth getting. And plus, it's right now five ninety nine, which is a shame. Well, that's only five ninety nine for that film. Unfortunately, yes, it is in the five ninety nine bin at Best Buy. I tell you what, it costs a lot more than five ninety nine to make this movie. I think what? Well, this movie is a very prestigious film. It's yes. actually been nominated for four Oscars. It, it's about an hour and a half. Yeah, I think like one hour, twenty six minutes. Yeah, one hundred twenty seven minutes. So, and it was filmed all over the world in Andalusia, Spain, Almeria. Oh, the, the locations of this film are excellent. The, the, it's a, let's let's start off by saying that it is a very imaginative film with a very broad scope, run by people who had faith in the director and the writer, and had a very big bank account <laughs> to fund this. They put a lot of money into this film to make it as beautiful as possible. It is a visually stunning film. And it holds up very well for the time period. And there was, there's even the original CG was used in this film. Not too much. They only used a little bit. Like, there's some films back then that they used too much CG. It looked ridiculous. Perfect example, which is a movie we'll get to eventually, Dune. The CG looked horrible nowadays. Yeah, oh yeah. Everything that they did in this movie has held the test of time, just because most of the effects are practical. A lot of costume work, a lot of oh, yes. puppetry, a lot of miniatures, and it holds up pretty well, especially for what it was. And for those of you who are wondering, what the hell is this movie about? We'll get into that in a second. Now, one thing I will say about this, if you've ever seen any of Terry Gilliam's other films, 12 Monkeys, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas... 
Brazil, Time Bandits, or even, dare I say, the newest one, The Imaginarium of Dr. Panarsis. His films are very, well, you wonder if he was on a lot of cocaine, crack, and meth at the same time. Yeah, Gilliam's career, just based on the movies he threw out there, starting with Holy Grail, which he co-directed with Terry Jones, um, all the way up to Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. The scope, let's, how do I put this into words that make complete and total sense? Basically, he went from a lunatic to a lunatic on the top of his game, back to a lunatic, and then back to... A lunatic uh, on top of his game. Yes. Yes, because he did have a few stinkers. Well, one, which was an all right... Tideland. Uh, I can't recommend that. But that was more realistic, and I think that whoever was producing had him on a leash. Yes, absolutely. And... Even though Matt Damon ruined this film, I still think Heath Ledger did a good job in this film. The Brothers Grimm. Heath Ledger did an excellent job in the film, and also whoever played the French detective in it did a good job in it. Oh, see, I didn't see that one. I thought you were talking about uh, Tideland. No, Tideland was one of the two failures. It was Tideland and Brothers Grimm. Matt Damon did a horrible job, but Heath Ledger did an excellent job. Yeah, and that was one of the movies where the studios were getting involved. There's a storied history about Terry Gilliam versus the studios. Actually, this film was probably one of the films that actually started that whole producers versus Terry Gilliam, and he fights back tooth and nail. Uh, yeah. he, he goes crazy. He spends people's money like nobody's business, but... It, it's worth the results, every penny. The results are worth the investment. Yes, they uh, are. And hands down. So, since we've gone on about how visually stunning this movie is, and you're probably wondering, what the fuck is this movie about? <laughs> Suffice to say, it is an acid trip, because it takes place in, we'll say, the mid 1800s? Yeah, I think it was 18th century, so it's, it's probably the late 1700s sometime. Uh, but it's practical because there are references to other parts, other cultures, other things. So it's almost as a mythical European France city, which is currently under siege by a sultan. And they're being completely decimated because we don't know why. We don't know why they're attacking the city, but the city's being destroyed. There's yes. war everywhere. The city's crumbling apart. There's an explosion every 30 seconds, or at least 15 explosions in the span of two seconds. And you have soldiers running back and forth, and there's a lot of people who are injured, limbs are missing, the cosmetics perfect in this film. The guy's missing a leg, it looks like he's, his leg was hacked off. They by probably it. found a person with no legs, I mean, just to make it authentic. I mean, that's the level of detail yes. that's going And also this. the city is just very decimated, and you all see a lot of signs saying, if you want to serve the country, eat less. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, rations are l- running low, so eat less. <laughs> yeah. Cannibalism is still a crime. <laughs> yeah, it's the city's going horrible. Yes, it's a shithole right now. They're, and they're... they have nothing to do. It's like, you have to figure out a way to escape from this war. And so you see a sign saying, Salt and Sons Productions. Yeah, theater trooper. And you see a little girl walk up to the sign. And cross out the son and start to scribble in daughter. Um, this is Sally Salt, probably one of the main characters of the film. It was played by a very young Sarah Polly, who's in the Dawn of the Dead remake with the the, the mall and everything. Yeah. She was the main character in that. She's the, beautiful. The waitress, now. I believe. Oh, she's a gorgeous woman, incredible. Yeah, she aged very well, and she was a very cute little girl. Yes, and an incredible actor. I think she was like 11 or 12 years old in this film. There's a lot of famous actors in this movie who we'll get to in a bit. But Sally, her life sucks because her father doesn't want to acknowledge her. He's like, where's my little brother? It's like, we don't have a brother. Then why does it say Salt and Sons? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> and 
the family's a troop filled with a bunch of people, and they're acting. Yeah, they're inside the the movie house, which is bombarded, and there's people coughing and sick inside. It's packed with refugees and soldiers, and they're trying to lift their spirits. They're true to the sense that they must act and they must entertain, even in times of great despair. And that is what Salt and Sun Productions is all about. So that's basically what we open up into as soon as we go into this theater. They're putting on a play titled The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. One of the main people in the theater who is watching them is the very illustrious and right ordinary Horatio Jackson, the current magistrate of the city who's a complete and utter douchebag. And when things start going awry because some there's some technical problems, Mr. Salt, the father, says, look, it's just a technical problem. We're going to have no problem. And he watches as this magistrate proceeds to execute Sting, who is a soldier who's injured and he's sick. He executes Sting. He basically executes Sting, a.k.a. the lead singer of the police, for being too heroic in the battlefield. I think he took out 12 cannons and rescued 10 hostage soldiers, or POWs. And he executed him simply on the grounds of he was making too big of a spectacle and he will depress anyone trying to lead an ordinary life. <laughs> yeah, it seems like this guy is just there just to be a douche and to bring down everyone's spirits so things work out for him. He is the ultimate bureaucrat, basically. Yes. He is the, the embodiment of bureaucracy. The only cool thing I think he has is that he has pinched in his sunglasses. That's the only thing I think that's cool. Yeah. Huh? So, either way, they're playing this play about Baron Munchausen, who is this fictional super being who, well, is... Well, he's a man. He has fantastical abilities. Yes, and he travels around with a group of friends who all have fantastical abilities. And as they're going into the play, this man bursts into the theater and says, You're lying! How dare you lie about these things? And he looks like Baron Munchausen, except he's all ratty and he's, he's got... A, he's incredibly old and he's... he's wailing around a sword, you know, chopping off prosthetic noses and poking chests with it. And he freaks out all the theater troupe and they hide behind the curtain as they drop the curtain to kind of get this guy to calm down because the magistrate's getting pissed off at this. And he's saying, oh, there's, this isn't a lie, I never lie yeah. to me. And then he's looking at the theater troupe and he realizes, hey, you look like it's Bertold! Bertold! And this is one of the funnier things because the fact is all the theater troupe with the exception of the main Mr. Salt, all are the analogs. They play theater troupe, and they also play the people they're supposed to represent, because this is the actual Baron Munchausen. Yeah, yeah. So basically, Baron claims, the so-called Baron, the old, tattered man, who claims that he's Baron Munchausen, says that the reason that the Turks are sieging the city is all of his fault. So, after a brief intermission and some more squabbling backstage, Baron comes out and begins to weave this tale about how he's in the Sultan's harem, and we're treated to an excellent, excellent transition where it appears that they're on stage and they have the extra playing the Sultan come out, and as the camera turns, we are actually inside of the Sultan's harem. We are on another set. It's very well done. It makes you wonder if the Baron has the ability to mesmerize the audience to almost draw them in, and that I think that is one of his true, true powers. Um, Probably, and... So what happens is in this very elaborate sultan's harem room with a very fat, strange man who's naked for no apparent reason and other ugly people and an organ which is filled with spiky, sharp things. And slaves. And a lot of slaves. Because <laughs> what happens is the baron makes a wager with the sultan because the sultan gives him some wine. He's like, uh, this wine's okay. It could be better. But I have tasted the greatest wine in all the land, so I'll make a wager with you. If my servant can get you the wine in one hour, you will... Give me as much treasure as the strongest man in the world can carry. And if you win, if I'm not able to get the wine for you, 
You can take my head. Game on. Yep, and so he gets his servant Bertel, played by Eric Idle. Yes. Who's this very lanky guy with, well... Monstrous thighs. Yep, and these... <laughs> and shackles. Yes, with these big cannonballs on it. You're wondering, what the hell's with the cannonballs? <laughs> he's like, oh. He's like, take this to the Empress. He hands him a note. You see Bertel say, right away. Hey. Uh, he begins to tear ass right in the middle of the harem basically running right through the marble in place it's just like you think you almost hear that uh, the cartoon bongo sound effect when they're running in midair yeah because it's, it's pretty impressive to see him just jump up three times and he's just burned and he burns. runs across and he's as, gone as he's running across the sultan takes a big hourglass flips it upside down and start waiting and it's going down and as they're waiting you see the sultan proceeds to entertain him with his weird death organ machine <laughs> His, uh, what was it, The Torturer's Apprentice, the short opera? <laughs> yeah, a short opera, and as he's playing this, you see the uh, executioner and his midget friend, played by Deep Roy from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's actually kind of gross if you pay attention to it. He takes his feather, which is actually in his, in his skull, skull, yeah, it's in his forehead, pulls it out and starts to put on the back of the Baron's neck, dotted line, so that the guy could know where to cut. <laughs> However, the irony is the executioner is actually blind, so it's like... It doesn't really help. So now Baron's getting a little worried. He's excusing himself from the chamber by whistling for his horse. He jumps out probably a 30-story window. The horse lands directly in the courtyard where the rest of his crew is waiting. We have, uh, we'll start with Adolphus. He's wearing glasses, but he can see farther than anyone in the entire world. He, he has a gun, too, so and he can... He can he can shoot it, that's for damn sure. Yeah, he's an expert marksman, and he's pretty cool. Next you have Gustav, who is a very, very small man. Played by the incredibly talented Jack Purvis, who's been in plenty of films uh, throughout the decade. And he is a very small guy, but here's the thing. He has super big ears, and the thing is that he could hear anything. He puts his ear on the ground, he could tell where something is, and he could hear where, with a snot speed of wind is, and also he has super powerful lungs, so he could blow... He could blow down forests. Yes. And then last you have Albrecht, the strongest man in, in the, the world! world. <laughs> a big, fat, tubby black guy who's bald. He's huge. He's a massive man. And what happens is the Baron tells them that like, I'm in trouble. And they first think it's a joke, and he's like, I'm not joking, it's a wager. <laughs> a wager! Oh, a wager! So, so basically, yes, yeah, so Adolphus leaps to the ground he's listening Berthold's sleeping so he basically hears him about 900 miles away he's sleeping under a tree and then uh, they throw the gun to yeah. to Gustav Gustav fire no 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 Gustav is no, Gustav heard it Gustav heard it Adolphus got chucked up onto the watchtower where he saw Berthold sleeping under and the tree and then he shoots a branch to knock him to wake him up and then he runs and saves the day and so the deal is that so he wins the bet. Yeah, basically. It was... So let's take him to the treasure room, and the deal was, whatever the strongest man in the world could carry, that's what he can keep. It's a good deal, you know. Generally, how much do you think a strong guy can really carry? Yeah, 100 pounds, maybe? 200, you know. 600, maybe 300. And there's roughly, well, we could say, the size of this treasure room is going to be roughly 30 feet by 40 by 70. Yeah, like 70 feet. 70 feet high ceilings. And yeah, it's, it's filled it's completely with gold. Yes. And so, the next scene we see... <laughs> Everything piled up on, on Albrecht's back. Except the gold coin, which <laughs> which Adolphus picks up and he flips it to the key... Oh, the, the, the treasurer. Who is this big, fat, ugly guy with a big freaking key on his back. 
All right, so that basically starts this whole thing. So the, the whole Sultan is pissed. And they go to war, and then it goes to the back to the quote unquote present, which is now the theater's being attacked, and Mister Jackson, the douchey douche, says this theater's closed. You guys have to get out of the city within one day, and, or you're gonna be executed. And as they're fighting and. Everyone runs away, and the Baron is saying, Stop, wait, you must wait, you must wait. Yes, but nobody's listening at this point. Except the, the, the illusion is gone, everybody's fearing for their lives, except for one person. Which is Sally, and as this place is falling apart, Sally notices, you know, everyone's learning where your father disappeared with the rest of the, the troop. She looks around, she notices in the back, she sees a figure standing over the Baron who's collapsed on the ground. It is the scariest thing that has ever been made for a film in my humble opinion. Yes it was which is, it is the angel of death and artistically done because in the beginning of the film, one thing I forgot to mention is there was a huge statue in the center of the city of the angel of death. Yes. And at one point it looks like the angel is actually moving in a really cool scene. Yeah, it's, it's incredible camera work. So what happens is when Sally scares off the angel of death as it's about to suck the soul out of the Baron and the Baron's like, why did you do that? I wanted to die. Yes. And she's like, well, what happened? How'd you escape? How? And and he's like, ah, you don't want to hear that. You're just a stupid kid. And she keeps prodding him, and suddenly he gets rejuvenated. Yeah, he's he, like, like, livens up. Like, he, it means something to him again. Which brings me to the theory that maybe he... It's not just he's just the Baron, but he's more the personification of what the Baron meant, which was, like, fantasy and... Cause he, and adventure and, and facing death and... Because he brings up this point that the world's becoming filled with science and logic, and there's no more room for adventure, for... Fables, basically. Yeah. People are moving... This is the time period where science is phasing out, like, the old ways, like the old gods... Uh, and, and like Aesop's fables and stuff like that. And this seems to be prevalent in the whole movie, and that's what is pretty cool about it. Yeah, yeah. You're jumping in between different fantasies and, and just moving all over. And it's something which you realize is something that you shouldn't let go of, which is a big staple in, I think, Terry Gilliam's life. This is why it was important to him. That's why this movie shows how much he was. He loved it. It was probably probably almost like him. I mean, sure, it has everything to do with how he was growing up, maybe like when there's still magic in things and you lose it that transition between child and adult Terry Gilliam never lost that thank god and that's why movies like this got made was yeah. because he he always had in his mind the magic that made the world good uh, it was still in his vision but the thing was that this movie also gives you the fact that it's possible to gain that back which it is possible to gain back that sense of wonder and mysticism but we're getting ahead of ourselves so, once Sally wakes him up, what happens is that they're running off, and they end up on an adventure because he says that he'll get his friends, and, well, he actually sees the three women who are part of the troupe who are played by Uma Thurman and Valentina Cortez and this other girl who none of us even know who she is. Yeah, she doesn't really matter. And he flirts with them, and that's something that also the Baron has. That's another power, yes. He has the ability to charm anyone possible with the same story, which everyone's like, oh, God, he's saying it again. It's like, you remind me of Catherine the Great, who I once had the... The uh, pleasure of uh, whose hand in marriage I once had the pleasure in declining. <laughs> yes, and he, he pulls yes. out a flower out of his pocket, like a billion flowers. He has like a dimensional sub pocket filled with flowers just for to women so he can get lucky. <laughs> which means that I think that that's the one thing which he has, which even as an old man he has, which is going for him. So he 
convinces everyone he's going to go, and he says, Ladies, you can help me if you will. Would you please drop your trousers? <laughs> and at that point, in the back of your head, you're thinking, Oh, man's going to get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to have a he's gonna have a freaking three-way remount in, in the back of this movie theater. But will he go ass to mouth? <laughs> That's the question. No, will they go ass to mouth? <laughs> Good point. Good point. So... Making an air balloon out of, well, the panties. Yeah, basically silk linens. Uh, they make a hot air balloon, escape the city. Well, it's just the Baron at first, and he thinks, oh, okay, because he leaves his dog, which was with him. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. as he's dumping things out to get the balloon higher, who falls out of a basket but... Sally. So, so Sally's a stowaway, and then basically she tells him, hey, I'm, I'm up on this hot air balloon, I'm going to the moon with you, buddy. And so they go to the moon, and yes, we know it's unplausible, but this is a fucking movie. <laughs> A very strange movie. So they end up on the moon in a very really cool scene where you see the transition where they end up in a storm. And also, you see death again. Yeah, death is, is prevalent in, in pretty much everything that the Baron does. Uh, he's chasing him, and at one point, actually, death almost catches him when he's on a cannonball. We forgot to talk about the cannonball, but we're, we're trying to cut ahead. But the fact is that he laughs death. Like, death's going to kill me, he laughs. Yeah. And so what happens is he ends up on the moon. And the moon is a very trippy place in a very psychedelic scene and we see the king of the moon or the king of everything Ray de Piton you may but call me call Ray played by Robin Williams yes in an uncredited role we might add yes and he is the king of the moon and he's insane he's basically a head a floating head the king and queen of the moon basically they're mind and body now the mind goes off and does things like equations and it thinks about things about the universe and yes, everything and, and the body and the body like it, it, it basically loves to fuck uh, that's pretty much all the body pretty much in the bo- whenever the body and the head are connected the body's in control but when the head is disconnected the head is able to contemplate and the body just kind of tries to catch the in a very funny sequence so what happens is, is they're in there they end up catching and finding Berthel who they end up escaping from the king in a very disturbing way with this weird mechanical bird, which once you see the mechanical bird, you're like, okay, this is a Terry Gilliam film because yes. there's a mechanical creature. <laughs> yeah. And then one of the best lines, Bertel, who had forgotten his memory, gains his memory back and says, I ran off with the old queen of tarts and left me to rot in that parrot case, didn't you? And now you come back here just because it suits you after wasting half my life and expect me to follow you to the ends of the earth. Yes. Oh, <laughs> And they go and they escape the moon, and then they end up from there, they end up into, well... A giant volcano, basically. Yes, they fall off the moon in a very strange way, because, well, we're not going to get into the whole scene with the rope, because that's just completely... <laughs> Let's just say you can't take the top off a rope and tie it to the bottom. Something usually happens negatively in that situation. Yes, yeah, so, so they end up in a volcano and they end up meeting again well they meet Vulcan god of well god of war well he's not the god well he's the god of war and also the god of well he's I prefer using Hephaestus because that's what he is he's a god the blacksmith god he creates weapons and all this other stuff and of course his wife Venus or Aphrodite who is essentially a big slut played by a young with her I think she was 16 when she did this and then there's of course and the Baron charms Venus in front of Vulcan, and Vulcan gets very upset. He's like, You want to see the, the ballroom? He gets very pissed off at the Baron. They meet another member of the crew, and then they end up getting shot 
out of the out of the volcano. Well, they leave on bad terms with Vulcan, who literally chucks the shit out of them out of the volcano. And then from that point on, they end up getting eaten by a huge monster fish, who ends up well. Then they meet the last two members, three members of the party. Yep. And then from there, what happens is a mystery that you'll have to watch for yourself because we don't want to spoil the ending for you. Yes. If we're being vague. It's not be entirely because of time, but this is a movie that really deserves to be watched. We just want to basically get you wet for this movie, um, just so you can go and have an orgasm after you watch it. Yes, it's a movie which you have to watch. Now, I would there are a lot of ratings. Now, for those of you who don't know, this show has a lot of different ratings. We have five ratings. Lowest being protests outside of your local red box in an attempt to prevent people from renting this reprehensible piece of shit. Then the next highest up is... It's okay, not great. This is what you have playing in the background when you're surfing the internet for porn. Then our middle of the ground, which is, it's worth watching in theaters or on cable TV once. Then the next, which is a little bit better, which is, you ask all your friends for this as a gift, and if you receive multiple copies, you take the best version, which would be the Criterion version of this, and then you sell the rest of them for any good or service that you would ever want. Don't worry, we don't judge. And then last, of course, which is what I personally am giving this rating, which is going to be really, really, really fucking cool. If you don't watch this now, your brain will freeze, your eyes will swell up, and your soul will be forfeited to the twelfth circle of hell, where you'll be forced to be attacked by the evil monster of Ag for all eternity. And Mrs. Dowfire is playing on repeat constantly. With Jar Jar Binks in the background saying... So what would you get? Oh, definitely, definitely five, man. Yeah, if you rip. don't, you gotta, it, it is a Criterion version, I believe, or at least a special edition that just came out. Um, you can probably still find it in Best Buy. If not, go to fucking Amazon. They're giving shit away right now. Um, it, it provides a, a ton of insight into the film. You get a glimpse of Terry Gilliam's battle with the studio executives, uh, to make his vision, which somehow he pulled off, because this movie, down to a T, is Terry Gilliam. Um, it's, it's, yeah, and it it's, gives it's you that incredible. sense of wonder, and there's a lot of trippy things in it which you don't expect, especially with how it turns out, because it's something that you really don't expect. Yeah, it's a wonderful addition to any film collection. Um, you can just bust it out to show it to somebody if they've never heard about it, because I'm sure there's plenty of people now that haven't heard about this film. Um, you show it to them, whether you're young, if you're young, you're gonna fucking love it. If you're like a kid, or if you have kids, they're gonna fucking love it. I saw this movie when I was eight years old, loved it ever since. And it's done very tastefully, too. It's not like, say, we'll use a good example in current uh, film, like, um, Terminator, or, better yet, Clash of Titans, or the current Robin Hood movie, which has sex, or Gladiator, which has sex and violence in it. This has violence in it, but it's very cartoonish at times. Like he runs up against someone and just cuts their head, and their head goes flying off. <laughs> yes. And yes. and then the head lands in someone's lap and it winks at someone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or the fact is at one point, Sally, who's a young kid, hears this woman who's moaning and groaning because she's with her body. It's Queen of the Moon's body is with her husband and her husband is doing things. And you see Berthel and the Baron look at each other. Yeah. And she's like saying, "What's going on?" Like and some sideways glance. Yeah, you know, they could have said she's getting the, the Texas tornado tongue twister. But instead, that they say that he's tickling her, and then it goes to the bedroom, and he's t- 
tickling her toes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it's it's low enough where it is kid friendly. It does have some oh, yeah. scary sequences, like the Angel of Death is portrayed. Oh my God, the best an- the best puppet ever built and operated, in my opinion. It is scary. It is articulate. It moves. It has life. It looks like death is coming for the people. And at one point, you even see him dealing cards. Yeah, it can actually pick up a card and throw it. That's how articulate this freaking model yeah, is. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful model, and it's kind of it's really creepy. It's one of the most terrifying scenes, but the movie yeah. is really good. It's easy to grasp, and it has that sense of wonderment, which is worth seeing. I remember seeing this in the theater. <laughs> oh, you saw it in the theater? Yeah, oh, wow. I saw this in the theater back in the day, in 1988, which shows how fucking old I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm only a year older than you, but for our audience, we're probably, I don't know, maybe ten years older? <laughs> Eight years older? I don't fucking know. I don't know. We're old! I remember when Terry Gilliam was alive, and he wasn't extradited from the country. Yes, Terry Gilliam is actually not allowed to be in the United States. Really? He is only allowed to be in the United States for 30 days a year. Wow. Because he's pissed off the United States government. <laughs> he, he pisses off more people than he should, but... He pisses off everyone who deserves it, basically. Yeah, well, well, I'm perhaps there's well, but it's, it's question. <laughs> you get expelled from a country. <laughs> well, it's well, we could we could ask Stanley, well, not Stanley Kubrick. We could ask um, uh, Roman Polanski, but oh well, <laughs> that is, no, Terry Gilliam has nothing to do with that. Terry Gilliam is a good man. Yes, and he was one of the members of the Python. It's, this yes. is definitely worth getting in your collection if you don't have this. In one form or another, because I have it on VHS. Yeah, even I still have to buy a fucking VCR because you found this copy at Grandma Ruth's freaking garage sale. You know, it, fucking buy it, please. Yeah, it's worth getting. It truly is. It's a magnificent film. It's worth watching sober. It's worth watching high. It's even worth watching to make a drinking game out of, just with the absurd shit that happens in it. You can do so much with it. Um, it's yeah, but, and and you can think and talk about it too, like. Yeah. I had two beers during this movie. It it was good enough buzz just to uh just to to think. And I we we came up with some uh, pretty good pretty good uh assertions about the film. Yeah, no, it's it's a good movie to just discuss and talk about. It's uh for college though, if you want to write a paper about fantasy and reality, this is a perfect film for it because it has that questions about it. you wonder about the Baron himself. Is is he an actual person who's just telling a story? Is he a madman? Or is he actually a figment of this girl's imagination, or is he just a personification of adventure? Because you see him constantly changing his age. He's like Sophie from Howl's Moving Castle, where he's young one minute, then he's really old the other minute, then he's young minute, he's old the other minute. He wants to die. He doesn't want to die. He wants to get laid. He doesn't want to get laid. He he's drinking tea with Vulcan, which is really funny because he's drinking a very dainty tea set. Very tiny, very tiny and elaborate. But Vulcan does have the pinky up. <laughs> Ding. So, I think that's it for this episode. All right. I, yeah. had, I had a great time uh, oh, just yeah, watching this film with you, Zan. It's been a uh, pleasure as always. Well, Deke, it's always a pleasure, man. We're Don't worry, we're going to do this again. So, as usual, this is your host, Zan. This is your co-host, Deke. And we are Gonsville, so I'll see you in the next episode, which we'll be reviewing. And you can... Send any emails, comments, concerns, or flames at Spirekin.com, or you can email me at Spirekin at gmail.com or Zan at Spirekin.com. I guess that's it, so we are out of here. Don't forget to thank the fans, Zan. Oh, we, can't, we can't forget to thank, because without you guys, we would not be here. Because you guys are really important, because without there, we wouldn't be recording, we wouldn't be reviewing, and, well, 
Thank you very much. And I'd just like to give a shout-out to a certain uh, LL from Florida who I recommended to your podcast, and they love. So, salute. So, salute, and we are out of here. We are Gonsville, and to quote this film, the greatest quote in this movie, Is there a doctor in the fish? Do you have one? Uh, just pertaining to the fish. Back to the fish! Make yourself useful. I can't do everything.